Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Specht. Hello. What's new, Derek? Well, it's, uh, I, I hear we have somebody in studio, so that's new. I'm pretty Shh, excited about that. <laughs> <laughs> we do. We have a guest today, so it's going to be a bit of a different show. Uh, we're not just going to yap nonstop. <laughs> uh, as you know, lately we've been doing a lot of shows. We've done the Ontario, uh, Dur- Toronto Outdoor Adventure Show. Yes. Uh, we did the Quiet, Quiet Water, Water Symposium. Symposium, and then I was down in Canucopia last week. and Which uh, I missed out on. You did. Oh, dude, you gotta go. You gotta <laughs> go. Next year. Next you year know. I'll go. Sorry, that was two weeks ago now, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, you definitely you definitely gotta go. Yeah. And met a lot of people and getting a lot of phone calls, or emails and, and texts and stuff like that. And today's guest sent me a message and said, hey, I'm, I'm going town. to Florida and then I'm hitting <laughs> Ottawa and then we're coming through Toronto way. Are you going to be available for a beer? And he says, you know, I'm big from doing the lower Mississippi and all that sort of stuff. And I said, well, come on over and we'll have a beer here and some pizza and we'll chit chat about what you do. So with us today, we have Braxton Barden. Welcome to the show. Oh, thank you for having me. Um, okay. So let's just get right into it. Uh, you were, like I say, you, we, you know us from the show and on Facebook and stuff like that. And you sent me a little, uh, message saying, Hey, this is the sort of stuff. And I've been seeing some of your pictures for, for a while now on, on Facebook. Um, you know, like we we talked about earlier, there, starting fires in the middle of the woods, (laughs) uh, doing some river trips and stuff like that. Now you're a, a river guide down in the Mississippi. I did that for two years after I retired from the Navy. And then, uh, currently I'm a student at the University of Georgia studying ecology. Okay. And so, okay, so now you're doing that. You also talked about, um, the lower Mississippi water trail Mm -hmm. that you helped with that, um, getting it going or like creating the whole thing? Worked on, it was, it turned out to be about a six year project, um, that spans the middle and lower Mississippi river, uh, from St. Louis to the Gulf of Mexico. And then also with the option of uh, reaching the Gulf of Mexico through the Atchafalaya. Um, I worked uh, kind of in the middle of it, and the river gator describes the river at anywhere between low water up to flood stage. Um, the river fluctuates about 50 feet throughout the year. Wow. And so as you get closer to flood stage, of course, camping, um, camping spots become more limited, so you have to know where the high ground is. Um, you could always paddle to the levees, but you'd have to, uh, a lot of places you'd have to fl- uh, paddle through flooded timber and it may be a couple of miles of paddling through. But if you know, there are certain islands that, um, depend on the water level actually stay above ground, but you have to know how to paddle through like the back channels to get to them. Right. Now, when we think, you know, high water levels here, we're talking two, three feet. Yeah. We're not, not 50 talking 50 feet. feet. Right. Yeah, we don't that's, normally paddle between trees. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that that's that's huge. Yeah. Um so River Gator, uh rivergator.org, R I V E R G A T O R. So what exactly is River Gator? The name River Gator um is actually a play off of um, The last name was Kramer, but the the name of the book was The Navigator. Okay. And that was actually the person that na- that came up with the numbering system for the islands down the river. Oh, okay. And so, as uh, we were talking earlier, a lot of times when people talk about fa- uh, paddling in the south, one of the first things that comes up is alligators. 
<laughs> and so it was kind of a combination of navigator and then rivigator and it's a, a water trail description or a description of the water trail for paddlers and so um, as you're going down the river it tells you where to camp at different water levels uh, back channels that'll open up uh, when the water increases and also there's very few towns that are actually on the river uh, they're typically up on bluffs and a high ground and so you need those when you're paddling long distance coming down the river as resupply points. And um, one of the things we listed was libraries that have Wi-Fi, Wi-Fi access points, places to wash your clothes. Because you may be on the river for 30, 40, up to two months. Right. right. So like a rest stop you'd see on an interstate or something. It's like, wow. <laughs> that's, exactly. Yeah. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. I mean, we've talked about... Um, you know, long rivers that we can do here, mm-hmm. but nothing like that. Right. No. You know, I mean, if you're going on on a river trip or a, or a 40-day trip up this way, right? Um, yeah, you're covering quite a bit of, of ground, but it's it's a mixture of lakes and rivers, and there's a, a ton of portages and everything in there. It's not just one solid big river like the Mississippi sort of right. thing. Uh, yeah, and uh, as you say, it's like you can go on to this river gator and find this is where I'm going. This is where I'm going. Now it goes from what? St. Louis down to the Gulf of Mexico, all the way to the Gulf of Mexico. And so the Mississippi river, I mean, it runs through like St. Louis, Missouri, mm-hmm. Memphis, Tennessee, Vicksburg, Mississippi, Baton Rouge and new Orleans, uh, Louisiana. Uh, those are big name towns that right. most people know. Uh, the Mississippi river runs along the border. Cause I, I was looking at the, at it, you know, cause that's what I do. And the, <laughs> It runs along the border between Missouri and Kentucky, Missouri and Tennessee, Tennessee and Arkansas, Arkansas and Mississippi, and Mississippi and Louisiana. That's a big river. Right. Well, the Mississippi River Basin drains approximately 44% of the United States landmass. I think it's like 13 states and actually two Canadian provinces. And pretty much anywhere a drop of water falls east of the Rockies and west of the Appalachians, is funneled down through the Mississippi River Basin. That's Seems that's a lot, eh? Incredible amount of water. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's and of course Mississippi is a working river as well. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we've talked about about spots and stuff like that, and a couple sh- videos we've seen. Um, they talk about the the barges and that that go up and down, and of course they got the the river boats. You know, that's the big, the old West gambling right. riverboat things. Um, then you got, we were talking earlier about uh, the wing wing dams. Mm-hmm. Wing dams, wind dikes? Wing dams. Wing dams. Wing dams. Right. Um, again, we're, 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 we're talking, I mean, just the difference alone. We're talking, we sometimes we see these little uh, cement barriers going across a river that if you were to take the water out, that barrier would be four or five feet high. Right. And you're talking 10 to 20 feet. Right. That's massive. Well, yeah. It, it doesn't actually cross the entire uh, river. But that's it, still a big wall of... Right, right. Big know? wall of stone. Right. Yeah. And it's it's pretty amazing to see the force of the water that when it does go over it, when it does go around the edge of it, the eddies that it creates. There's sometimes where you see these whirlpools <clears throat> and um, just this massive amount of water just spinning around and you can see a hole in it. And a lot of times people... They try to to scare you away from the Mississippi River. But if you use your resources, especially the River Gator, and you read about the hazards, 
um, it's not really that dangerous. You know, it's kind of like uh, when you're a kid, your parents tell you, don't go play in the road. Right? Yeah. 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 And it's the same thing. A lot of times I think people try to scare you away from rivers because there is some elements of danger. But just as you learn to cross the road, you know, look you both ways. Learn to paddle the river. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I guess that's exactly what it would be. You know your own body of water, right? right. And if you're used to paddling it, then you're going to have no problems. Now, what exactly are the purposes of the, uh, the wing dams? The, the, the water, you know, of course, travels faster around the outside of the bend. And as it approaches the end of the bend, what the core wants it to do is get over back, say, if the current's on the right side of the river, right bank descending, they want the, the current to go left bank descending, and that way it keeps scouring the channel and they don't have to dredge it. Right, because so, you said there is a certain depth they like to keep the middle channel. Well, the navigation the... channel, they, they're required to keep a minimum of nine feet. Okay. Right. And so if you look, the barges, their draft is nine feet. Right. So that just keeps it all nice and clean. Like you say, they don't have to dredge or anything like that. That's right. creates that clearing right. water flow. Now, you yeah. said the core. You're talking the U.S. Corps of Army Engineers. That's or correct. That, yeah, okay. And um, so the the river is free-flowing for 1,100 miles, uh, you know, south of Alton, Illinois. That's the last lock and dam. And uh, one of the problems we have in the southeast we talked about earlier was the during the industrialization period, or industrialization period, there were a lot of dams built for textile mills, Electro uh, uh, hydropower, but the Mississippi River is one of those rivers where you can get on and you can just float. You don't have to portage anything. And <laughs> yes, there's, yeah. there's no effort. Yeah, yeah that's too easy. <laughs> <laughs> well, and you, that was like the Moose River I did. Yeah, you yeah. just get yeah. on there and flow. There, there's something to that. Right. Yes, you're not having to carry any gear over any piece of land. <laughs> well, that's nice. <laughs> well, if you want a challenge, it's possible to have a portage on the Mississippi River. Uh, when you get in the back channels, sometimes there's, if you don't, say if you go through and it's too low, there's actually um, riprap behind the channel sometimes. Okay. They mm -hmm. go across yep. the back channel. So you might have to portage that, or it's possible that you have a lot of floatsome and um, tree debris that's blocked the back channel. Oh, that's okay. A, oh, so yeah. like a liftover. Right, exactly. Sort of a thing, yeah. Well, I mean, like maybe a little bit more than a liftover, like an actual, like, <laughs> you know, and just uh, throwing a little snakes and alligators to spice it up. <laughs> yeah, here we go. Snakes and alligators. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be a swarm by mosquitoes. <laughs> the mosquitoes I can put up with. I'm just not big on the... Well, I've never had to deal with the alligators, but the snakes. Sean just... has an unnatural fear of snakes. Snakes. It's not that I don't have a fear of them. It's just I just don't like them. <laughs> They're not your friend. They're not my friend. You know, I just want nothing to do with them. You guys stay over there. I'll stay over here. But they just don't believe in that rule. Well, you know where most people get bit, right? There's a common... The leg? No. <laughs> the forearms. What? Because they're trying to grab them? Yep. Most snake bites are on the hands and forearms. Well, people got to stop reaching for those snakes. <sighs> Wouldn't be me. Quit messing with them. That's yeah. like what you were saying. It's like the snake's the same way. Yeah. You stay over there in my drone business, I'll stay over here. Yeah. Alice. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just, just not a snake fan. Right. You know. I've uh, heard stories about, you know, off in the desert and stuff, the, and the nights get cold and you might wake up in the morning because a snake wants to absorb some of your body heat, so he'll curl up behind you against your uh, sleeping bag because he's trying to absorb your heat. Right. It's like, oh, I don't know if I'd like that. You want to see somebody run really fast? <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, so yeah, so you, you can just get on that river and just float and fill your, your canoe with your gear and just float on down. Uh, again, it's a working river, so you do, but you say, you know, like I say that we've heard that, you know, you got to watch out for the barges and you got to mm-hmm. watch for this, but you're saying like, you can see the barges from, from, from a great distance, from, yeah. from a great distance. So you're prepared for. There, there's actually, <clears throat> there's a lot of, uh, sense to the way they operate. So if they're coming up river. Um, there, imagine pushing, um, 42 barges. Are you going to want to be on the fast water or the slow water? Yeah, yeah exactly. So when they're coming up river, they're more than likely they're going to ride the buoy line. Inside of the turn and right, yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right. So you'll know exactly where to right. go. Right. So yeah, it just sounds like it's just an experience thing. Right. You know, once you get to, to know how things work, you're good. And I'm sure it doesn't take that long to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, <clears throat> so how much of the river have you actually paddled? The middle and the lower three times. Really? Mm-hmm. And that's the 1100? That's correct. <laughs> we pretty much, when I was um, working with Quapaw Canoe Company in the Lower Mississippi River Foundation, uh, we spent the majority of the year actually out on the river, either with clients taking guided expeditions or exploratory um, expeditions where um, we were going out and actually documenting um basically different campsites um like uh, some of the water trails they scour the information off the internet to develop them but we were actually we went out there and visually verified and documented uh conditions from low water all the way up to flood stage so boots right on the ground exactly checking it out Mm -hmm. what is the paddling season I mean, here we're like, like, we're lucky if the ice is out in May and then, you know, like early December, you know, 98% of the people are off the water, you know, what's it like down there for, for, uh, paddling? How, how soon are you on the water? I suppose in the Southern States, you, it's year round. Year round. It's, it's it's year round. Um, a lot of times the question was not when do you paddle it's what's your favorite season right because we have the opportunity to paddle throughout the year because we don't we don't have to deal with ice you don't have a hard water (laughs) season (laughs) and so i started thinking about it and there's really no favorite season because especially in the south there's um every season a lot of paddlers you know they like the spring and the fall because it's mild weather right but for me the colder winter there's um the benefits of that is you can have a you know a big fire, beautiful clear sky, and you t- tend to see a lot more wildlife because the foliage is off the trees and it's easier to see through the forest. Right. And during the summertime, a lot of people avoid summer because it's it's hot. But you know what the good thing about summer is? You just jump in the water whenever it's hot. And yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. And we had that discussion earlier about uh, swimming in the swamp. Right. Everglades you know, or the Everglades and all that, mm-hmm. and you're not worried about the alligators mm-hmm. because now you were saying it's where people feed the alligators. Right. Those are the ones you got to watch out for. Right. Which is exactly up here. The the bears you got to watch out for are the ones people are, you know, they're not they're Even the, their the garbage. Yeah, they the become garbage humanized and stuff. Yeah. 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 So, but you'll you'll have no thoughts about and we about jumping into into the swamp and swimming. Right. And when like I say when I'm talking swamp up here, I'm thinking all muddy. Mm-hmm squishy stuff that you sink up to your hip and you don't want to be in sort of thing. But that's not the case. A river in its natural habit or natural environment down the South 
you have what's called bottomland forest. Okay. And so when it does flood, it's flooding over fairly compacted soil and beautiful hardwoods. And the water, those wetlands are actually a water filtration system. And so you get, once everything kind of settles down, the water's actually fairly clear in the flooded areas. And, you know, of course, there there's wildlife because you're in their habitat. You know, there's snakes, there's yep. alligators. But just go for a swim and cool off. So what's the water like on the Mississippi? Like it's, uh, from what I've seen, it's it tends to be silty, murky, mm-hmm. brown. So it, like it's, uh, what's the fishing like? And can you really, you can't really see much, can you? Well, the fishing on the main channel, you really have to be a good fisherman because you have to look for the eddies. The water in the main channel is moving a little bit too fast for most fish. Got it. And so, but you have all these back channel environments, and especially when it floods, the catfish like getting up in those flooded timber, uh-huh. right? And so, you just have to know where to fish um, on the river, and, and you'll be successful. Okay, so if you're on a a, a canoe trip down the Mississippi, uh, you'd sent me a couple of uh, links and a couple of videos and stuff like that. Um, and again, getting back to the the alligators thing and that you're looking at these campsites and they're on big sandy beaches and shorelines that go back quite the ways. Right. Um, is that like everywhere? Like, is that, is that sort of the, the whole thing that you're camping on all the way down to the Gulf or is it change as you go? Well, above Baton Rouge and, um, you're pretty much the, once you enter, well, it's kind of different. When you start out in St. Louis, you have a lot of um, uh, bluffs, beautiful bluffs, high bluffs as you're going down. And um, depending on the water level, um, you can find sandbars or sometimes you're camping up in the woods. Uh, one really neat uh, feature is um, it's the oldest cartographic, um, uh, basically the oldest map, known map in the eastern United States. And it only can be seen at extreme low water. And I believe it's below Thebes, Illinois. But there's an actual stone carving of the river, um, uh, a representation of the river um, wow. right at one of the crossings. In the stone? Mm-hmm. Huh. So you have old? to have low water to see that, though. Exactly. Yeah. Do they know how old it is? It was, I think, 1,400, something like that, somewhere around really? there. Really? Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. Now, huh. you'd also talk just talking about old things you're saying that we were talking earlier there about um fossils and and stuff like that you mm-hmm. find and it's again really old fossils and that you're finding sand dollars you'd mentioned sand dollars right. and megalodon, megalodon teeth, teeth, and teeth, and shark and, teeth and well that's more in uh, florida and georgia the mississippi river uh, which you typically find very easily um imagine it when I first started looking for fossils on the Mississippi River, there's so many rocks because it's a huge drainage basin. You have stuff coming out of the Rockies. You have rocks coming out of the Appalachians. So there's beautiful rocks in these gravel bars that you see. And when I started looking for fossils, I had to t- teach myself not rocks. <laughs> <laughs> and look for one of the easiest things to find, what's called a crinoid. A crinoid. And it's a circular uh, fossil that kind of looks like a lifesaver that Indians used to trade them as beads i think they were oh, okay. called saint Catherine's beads okay and those are fairly easy to find we found uh, fossilized shark teeth on the river 
Um, one of the neatest finds that John found, John Rusky, who's the owner of Quapaw Canoe Company, uh, found a, was it a, a femur from a giant sloth. And oh, so that, wow. I guess it was about two feet long. That's yeah. Been, yeah. A fairly substantial wow. bone. Hmm. So you can, you can spend quite the, the time uh, checking out uh, fossils and just hunting. Right. For stuff. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's pretty cool. Uh, one of the, now I'm going to, I'm going to, is it the chafalaya? The chafalaya. Chafalaya. You don't say the AT at the front? It's kind of like you're sneezing, a chafalaya. Oh, chafalaya. Right. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, because I looked at that and I'm just like, that's a big word. Uh, again, that that's an offshoot of the Mississippi. That's correct. Right. If the, the Mississippi was left to its natural devices, that's where it would change its delta and flow through the chafalaya. Um, However, the with Baton Rouge and New Orleans being port facilities, they don't want to lose the river. So the Corps of Engineers built the uh, river control structure. Right. And it allows approximately about 30% of uh, the flow of the Mississippi River um, into the Chafalaya to basically keep it from dying out. Um, the Chafalaya, um, I think it's the translation is river trees. Right. And so once you get off... Once you lock through from the Mississippi just south of Natchez into the Chafalaya, it's a totally change of scenery where you have this uh, bottomland forest that's pretty much perpetually flooded as cypress, uh, tupelo gum trees. And it's it's a change of pace, and it keeps you out of what they call like chemical corridor, um, Cancer Alley, et cetera, of all the industrialization that's happened right. from Baton Rouge south. Yeah, uh, the one video that you would, uh, or the one the one web page that you told you, mm-hmm. that you sent me to there is, they had a couple of little videos, and that was there was one about the river, and that's exactly what they said. You know, you can get off the 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 Mississippi and all the, you know, the traffic and all the this the, the population, all that sort of stuff, and if you want a nice easy, uh, different type of trip, then you head down the Chafalaya River. Uh, but one of the things I did say was, you know, you got, you start with the, the hardwood forests right. and you got the Cypress Tupelo gum swamps, and then that goes into the marshy coastal swamps. So there's three different biomes that you go through, uh, from the start to the end, right. which is pretty cool. I mean, you know, total different, different looks and different scenery as you go along, which is nice to, to have. Cause it's like three trips in one sort of thing. Uh, one of the things they were talking about was the different types of birds and the snakes and gators and stuff that you're down there. Is that mostly the, the wildlife you see? Uh, I mean, up here we're getting, you know, we, we look at like wolves and fox and deer and moose and mm-hmm. bears and eagles and stuff like that. But down that way, what is, ex- what sort of, yeah, what can you typically expect to run across? The biggest thing on the, the lower Mississippi rivers, um, birds, I believe, 66% of the birds in North America use the Mississippi River as a flyway for migration. And so if you had to say, okay, this is what you're going to see, it would probably be birds. Um, a lot of times when we took people out on the river, you know, they would ask, okay, what am I going to see? And the thing is, it's like you can't tell people what they're going to see because the we're, it's such a big open environment it's what you notice, you know, right. it's like you slow down. Got it. Yeah. Right. And so it's possible to see coyotes, deer, big fish swimming in the water. Uh, one of the neatest things and one of the most obvious things is the 
North American white pelican when they're migrating. Oh, okay. And when they're coming in for a landing, they may be hundreds, thousands. They do this tornado effect. And as they're they're high up in the sky and you see them swirling down in this white and flecks of black against the blue and they're coming in and it's real easy to notice. Um, I've seen herd of deer swimming across the river. Um, friends, friends have seen, there's the Louisiana black bear. They've seen bear swimming across the river. So th- there's no telling what you'll see. You just have to be willing to see it. Right. So, so there is more than just gators and snakes. Exactly. Um, well, let's take a quick break here and we'll come back. We'll, uh, tons more to talk about. All right. Sounds good. Hi, this is Derek Sprest. You're listening to Paddling Adventures Radio. If you like what you've been hearing, you can find out more by checking us out at paddlingadventuresradio.com, as well as on Facebook, Instagram, and on Twitter. You can find all of our episodes on iTunes, Google Play, and the episode page for our website, where all our podcasts are available for download or streaming. We love to hear from our listeners, so if you have a suggestion for the show or want to let us know how we're doing, please drop us a line. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the show. This portion of the show is brought to you by Algonquin Outfitters. Algonquin Outfitters, providing quality Algonquin Park backcountry adventures for the entire family since 1961. Whether you want to get on the water for a day or a week, the friendly staff at Algonquin Outfitters can help you out. Find them online at algonquinoutfitters.com or visit one of their 12 locations. Algonquin Outfitters, your outdoor adventure store, with locations in Algonquin Park, Muskoka, and Halliburton. Welcome back. Uh, we are with a special guest today. Braxton Barden is all the way up from Athens, Georgia. He uh, came up for a little tour and thought he'd stop in, and uh, we swindled him into doing a thought he was going to come for a little beer tasting, but we decided we were just going to do a whole podcast and chit chat with him. So <laughs> yeah. I can say welcome to the show there, uh, Raxton, and hope you're enjoying yourself so far. Oh, the beer's great, man. Isn't it? <laughs> what are we drinking this week? So this week I have a, uh, a quite a different amount of, it's all, it's all uh, man antler beer from Bowmanville, Ontario. So uh, I guess what we started with is, uh, now we've had this before, but what was new tonight is, uh, so it's, the machine imperial stout it's russian imperial stout and uh what i discovered tonight is that they have two different kinds of russian imperial stout both in the machine one of them is aged 15 months in a barrel i like that one better it's pretty good it's pretty good yep so it was it was a nice little uh nice little tasting to see the uh the different uh, but oh, wow it packs a wall up it's uh the normal stout is uh 8% alcohol and the uh the barrel aged is uh, 10% so and uh, you guys are you guys got something else over there, don't you? Uh, yes. So uh, so I cracked open a. Uh, I'm I'm drinking or I I was drinking a Durham and Dermer. It's uh it's a uh, I I don't even know if I can say all the words here. It's a spelt IPA with Sactua, Waiti, uh, Muteka, and Mosaic. So it's uh anyways it's a so there's stuff in it. Yeah, there's stuff in it. <laughs> <laughs> and Braxton is drinking Tunnel Vision, it's an American Pale Ale. That's so. easier. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you can actually pronounce what he's drinking. Yes. <laughs> and we also tested all the way from Canucopia. Yes. Blackened American whiskey. That's a bottle, it's Metallica's uh brand of whiskey. Okay. Um they oh, they they put it in the barrels. And what they do is they hit it with Metallica's music, like just hammer it. 
Yeah. Because apparently all the vibrations are supposed to affect the wood and yeah. and the whiskey at, at the molecular level. and It's, it's a better s- transfer of flavors between the wood and the alcohol. Yeah. And it is a bit harsher than normal stuff. So yeah, I think it's, it's one of those it's, ones you either really like it or you don't. It's got a nice flavor, but it's not smooth. What, what, what What's your description? Was it, um, it has a smooth harshness. A smooth harshness. With a... The, the fumes go into your nasal cavity as a filler, as, as a finish, and sort of burn. <laughs> so, it's like it's finished with gasoline. Yes, pretty much. yes. Yeah, yeah. And uh, somebody had said, is that your tactful way of saying it tastes like crap? <laughs> <laughs> it's not something you're going to guzzle. Yeah. It's not something you're going to do shots of. Uh, it's something you're going to drink slowly, that's for sure. So. Yeah. But yeah, you know what? Hey, they, Metallica is a good band, so I figured they... Give it a whirl. <laughs> now when that Scorpions uh, whiskey comes out. Are they coming out with one? I heard. There's rumors. I don't know. <laughs> People say things. Yeah. You know. Uh, so, yeah, we're talking. Um, talking paddling. Paddling south of the border. We're talking paddling from St. Louis, Missouri, and south on the Mississippi and area. Now, we were looking at a map uh, over break here. Uh, and Braxton, you were telling us, like, the floodplain, and so we zoomed into the. Well, we were looking at the map on the on the computer here in Google, and we went to the satellite view and we zoomed out, and the actual floodplain you say is what about 150 miles across. That's correct. That's huge. It's incredible. So that's that's yeah. I mean that's. But that's historical. Historical. They, they don't get that flooded anymore. There's right. towns in that area now. Yeah. Well, it's been levied in, and the levees. A lot of times when levees are built. The auspices is they prevent flooding, but what they really do is create more flooding downstream, and so you have to build the levees higher and higher and higher. So the levees have been built. They've shrunk the floodplain down, you know, to just a couple of miles, and that's what contributes to the river rising and falling as much as it does. The 50 feet difference yeah. between high flood and, and low water season. Exactly. So all that water still coming down, but it's coming down in a narrow area. narrow, it's right. confined. Area, right. area now, so that's why it's getting so so high. Hmm. Right. I, I, I still have a problem fathoming 50 feet I difference. Know. <laughs> it's incredible. Like, that's awesome, you know. Um, yeah, yeah you, got, you, got, you definitely got to know what you're doing if you're living ar- alongside that river. There. Oh, yeah. You got to be prepared for it. Like you are saying earlier there, you know, the towns and all that are all on these bluffs and stuff like that. Right. So, Well, historically, the towns that were at lower levels have been washed away. Yeah. And what's left are pretty much on high ground on the bluffs. Um, the levees were built to, you know, keep the river away from people. But effectively, they've also kept people away from the river. Oh, okay. And you have this beautiful wilderness area that's coursing down the middle of America. And not too many people get to see it. You know, a lot of towboat captains. But as far as the, you know, everyday people, you know, the only view they have of the river is, you know, 60 miles an hour crossing a bridge. And that's okay, all yeah, right. Yeah. The river. Right. Just because there's no real shorelines with the levees. And- that, right. And depending on the state, say, for instance, Arkansas, the, the levees are public. But not too many people go out on the levee. Yeah. And Mississippi... They're they. They're posted. However, they have public boat landings on the other side of the levee. Yeah. So to me, that kind of indicates it's like, yeah, the levees are public. You right. Know? Yeah. And but there's not a lot of people to go out there because it's just like when you're growing up, your parents tell you to stay out of the road. Yeah. 
because it, <laughs> it's somewhat dangerous until you learn the rules of the road. And a lot of people that had grown up around the river, that's one of the things that parents, you know, tell their children, whatever you do, stay away from that river. It's dangerous because right. they don't want their kids to, it's, to die. Yeah, it's ingrained, and then the kids, as they grow up, they learn that they, they never learn to go near the, the, the water of the levee. Right. It's it's just ingrained in them then. Right. Huh. And when you when you learn about it, though, you, you learn just like crossing the road, you know. you got to look both ways. You don't step out into traffic. Same thing with the river, you know. Yeah. You, you learn to read the river. You learn the rules of the road, and you get out there safely. Well, one of the big things up here now is is getting people out there, you know, and it's a lot of people that have never been. Now, when my dad retired from the, from the Air Force and we ended up down in the Toronto area, I started meeting people in, in my last year of high school and into college. And some of them have never been out of Toronto. They have never been, I mean, Barrie, which is what, an hour north. You know, that's as far as they've been. They've never been on a, a camping trip. They've never been on a canoe trip. They've never been down the river, that sort of thing. They see Lake Ontario, and that's that's pretty much it. So the big thing now I've noticed more and more is getting people out there, getting them on the water, getting them canoe tripping and, and kayaking, stand-up paddle boarding, all that sort of stuff. Now, you guys are running into that down, down south or no? That's correct. And Mississippi, uh, which is pretty much the poorest state in the United States. The Mississippi Delta, Luvian Delta, is the poorest region in the poorest state. Um, it's an agricultural area where most of the work has been mechanized. And so there's not a lot of job opportunities. One of the things that uh, Quapaw Canoe Company and Lower Mississippi River Foundation does is they have an apprentice program where they take um, young apprentices, teach them how to paddle the river, and then um, they become guides, and they basically have gainful employment of getting people out on the river. And <clears throat> it's it's pretty amazing because the when you look at it, some of the guy the apprentices that first started half their life has been out on the river, right? And so when they take people out and uh, almost pretty much everybody that lives in that area is kind of scared to go out there. And when they start talking, you know, it just starts flowing. Right. About how much they know about the river. They've spent a good part of their lives out on the river. And it is just natural. Right. Uh, now, you talked about um, some of the underserved groups, and there was some kids mm -hmm. that you guys had, had done a project with. Right. It, we uh, received a grant from the Mississippi Arts Commission on dugout canoes. Uh, John, in the past, has done multiple dugout canoes um, over in Arkansas with Kip Delta, actually up in Washington State. And um, the one I worked with was from the Mississippi Arts Commission, and so we had kids anywhere from 5 to 17 years old. And uh, the initial phase was actually we sat them down, looked at this 19-and-a-half-foot-long cottonwood tree, and said, like any sculptor, all right, what's in that tree? What do you see? And what I found, what I was really amazed was some of the kids didn't know how to, any basic drawing techniques like a line or a circle uh, because they didn't, there's not a lot of art education in school anymore. And so the first step was actually, you know, just kind of teaching them how to draw, how to focus. And 
um, one of the things that would set them down, it's like, all right, 30 minutes, no talking. We just want you to draw, you know, just focus on what you're doing. And of course they did it. But at the end of that 30 minutes, it was pandemonium. All that energy <laughs> was released. So running around, jumping yes. around. Yes. But it was really, it was inspiring for to see them, that amount of focus. You know, a lot of times um, children that have um, issues conforming with society, a lot of times it's their inability to focus. But I think we all do. We just have to practice. And art is one of those where it's, it's, it's one of the first things they take out of school. Right. But it's one of the things that really helps you function in society. Because it gives you that discipline to focus on exactly, one yeah. thing at a time. Yeah, yeah. So you guys had this this canoe project, mm-hmm. and the whole purpose was to build a dugout canoe. That's correct. Um, the only part we used that was mechanized, we used Alaskan mill, which is a big chainsaw that actually faced the top of the log. Okay. And then the rest of it was done by hand, um, either by saw, hand saw. And then to actually dig out the interior part was an ads. So imagine if you took an axe and folded it into like a semicircle. Right. That's an ads. Okay. And so it's used for digging. So imagine, you know, you got five, six, seven-year-olds, super sharp. <laughs> the uh, ones tools. that aren't allowed to use the anything other than safety scissors. Right. Yes. <laughs> and, but you give them basic, basic rules, you know, be cognizant of your surroundings wear your proper protective equipment, gloves, um, right. eye protection. And, of course, they did fine, you know. They're not lightsabers. Don't swing them at each other and have <laughs> right. fights. Exactly, right. yeah. You know, that's, yeah. that's more our age. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We and do I, all the fun stuff. And like, I regretted that though, yeah. two, two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> so how did the canoe turn out? It's actually still ongoing. Oh, okay. It, it takes a while. It, um to finish a canoe, especially by hand. One of the things every day that we did um, was the amount of chips that they dug out, we would weigh them. Okay. And so it was kind of a basic math thing where you could, if you knew the volume of the the log and how much the the volume that you weighed, you could figure out the actual total weight of the log. Right. So, I mean, it was much more than art that we were teaching them, you know, basic mathematics. Wow. And, um, basically a lot of resilience because a lot of times when you're doing something just repetitive you know kind of boring it's like oh this this is no fun boring <laughs> tiring right and, but, uh, it's an easy way to lose focus as right. well yeah. when you just get bored you just throw it to the side and say okay I'm, I'm done with this right but if you keep coming back and they, and it's definitely they're interested in it and stuff like that that's that's a bonus right. and at the end like in the past with the other dugout projects you know, there's a, a final product that they um, actually take out into the river and paddle. You know, it's not just a exercise and you've, you're you're actually doing something with the end end result. Right. Uh, basically, creating a functional piece of art. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Now, so other groups have done the, this this project mm-hmm. and have actually taken out, and the kids have just overjoyed with it i i imagine oh yeah being able to say you know we just took this big tree carved it out yeah. and now we're floating down the river <laughs> in this thing do they get to make their own paddles too yes that's awesome oh, right on that's cool you know what that, that's really cool when you when you start doing it, especially with the younger kids right because that gives them something to look forward to uh we did a interview at the quiet water symposium with chicago uh, oh, yes. adventure therapy 
Mm-hmm. And it's the same sort of deal. It takes the underserved uh, groups of kids in that that are, you know, got no no direction, no focus. Inner city that. Chicago kids who yeah. have never had an opportunity to get out of where whatever situation they're in. And then this, uh, this group has, what they're doing is they're training these kids to become leaders. So they train them to become trainers for other kids to learn paddling techniques and, and, you know, take charge of your own boat and stuff like that. It's, it's, it was a very impressive yeah, group. Yeah, we talked, we talked to this one girl, Brianna. Yeah. And, you know, she, she was having issues and all that. And now she's like. She's taking she, charge. She's, yeah, she's yeah. taking charge. Yeah. She's, she's teaching people. They've, they've gone to New York. They've gone out West to, to teach people stuff that yeah. they've learned. Uh, and it, it's a, um instructor um courses and that that are world recognized yes. like internationally recognized that she's got these these certificates now mm-hmm. and i mean this is huge so yeah you know? so when so, you like for for what you do and you can get it out there and work with kids like that it's it uh and, and you, i've seen studies i've i've heard anecdotal evidence and when you can get kids out canoeing out camping and and enjoying the natural environment you, you open up doors mentally for them for the rest of their lives it's it, they learn to appreciate you know what's out there in the wild and what what they can achieve on their own it's it makes a difference in a life right so yeah. it's it's nice to see groups like yours and and groups like uh cat and out of chicago it's it's amazing to see how they can develop future generations right well, I think, too, we don't realize a lot of times we talk about, like, connecting with nature. Yeah. So I'm going to give you a scenario. Imagine if you woke up in the morning, hopped out of your bed, got dressed, and everything but your shoes and socks, and you went all the way into work. Would your feet actually touch the earth in that commute? Nope. No. Nope. Concrete. Well, actually, I got a muddy spot beside my car in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) So technically. (laughs) So if we looked at it from a kind of scientific perspective, a soul typically has a negative charge. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so a lot of the things where we talk about that are bad for us are actually a positive charge that is built up in our body. And if we don't actually... I think we can probably agree that going outside makes us feel better. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And so I think a lot of the this habitat that we've created for ourselves is actually bad. And we don't release that, that positive energy that we built up in our body. And that takes actually getting outside, actually connecting. Yeah, know. connecting with nature mm-hmm. and, right. and, yeah, interacting with nature. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, it anytime you get it, you. it does. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even we, we take our, our dog to the dog park, right? you know, and it's a, a, a conservation type area right. sort of thing. So there's woods and, and all that there that the dog can go running through and there's trails and even that, I mean, mm-hmm. it makes a big difference. You come home, yeah, the dog's tired out, so, right. you know, but you're just like, you know what, I just had a really cool walk through the woods and mm-hmm. maybe I saw a deer. Or, I know one of the conservation areas here, you see turkeys and stuff like that. And, right. You know, it, it really makes a difference, right. you know? So if you can get the kids out there doing the same sort of thing, right? you know, even they're going to go. And, and and still something like this, you know, maybe later in life they're thinking, you know what, I, I, it, I've i dealt with crap, 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 crap. But this one project I did yeah. when I was exactly. a kid. I carved a canoe. Out, carved a canoe. 
I wonder if I could do that again. Yeah. And maybe that brings them back and totally changes their changes outlook life. on life. Your direction life. Y- yeah. You don't know. Right. But it's, it, it's possibility. You work, no, sorry, you were going to, to school right. with, with a guy. The, yeah, currently I'm uh, studying at the University of Georgia at the Odom School of Ecology. And one of the first students, you know, it's kind of a unique situation because I'm a good bit older than the rest of the student population. Right. And so uh, one of the guys I started talking to, we had a physics class and Japanese class together. And he seemed kind of outdoorsy. And I was like, hey, you want to go canoeing sometime? He's like, yeah, sure. And so the first time we went, we got camp set up. And he's uh, 25 years old. And we got everything set up. And he's like, you know, this is the first time I've ever spent the night in the woods. <laughs> and I was really surprised, you know, it's, you know, because I grew up uh, camping and canoeing. Yeah. And so this was March of last year. In May, we wound up doing a 60-mile trip. And one of the, it was hot. I mean, in May, it was already in the 90s. And his plans after he graduates, he graduates in May also, is to join the Air Force as a pararescueman. And one of the things that he's doing is going to the gym and getting in better physical shape. But the thing about the military is it's not just physical shape, it's mental toughness. And that's one of the things being outdoors will give you. Right. Um, most people, when they go to the gym, they're in a nice air-conditioned space. You know, yep. they're, they're working out. It's not really that painful. You know? Go get yourself a drink of water from the fountain. Exactly. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and so you build a physical strength, but at the same time, I don't think that you build that mental toughness of uh, being outside, being in the sun, just hot and somewhat miserable. You yeah. know, and so long distance or longer distance paddling, that kind of teaches you that. And so we're out there, we're doing the 60 miles and he, he's not really feeling it too good. And I'm like, you're going to have to learn how to push yourself a little harder. So we decided in August, we paddle from Dublin, Georgia, which is in, the, is in the center of the state, 220 miles to the Atlantic, to the ocean. Wow. And that was a, it was a pretty unique experience. We there was one day I pulled up the weather because I was I was thinking it's like man it's a little hot, <laughs> and um, when I pulled it up I couldn't believe the heat index it was 124 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh wow! And so I was thinking maybe this was a, this weather station was a little bit inland because it's typically a little cooler by the water. Right. Nope, it was right on the water. <laughs> and so I decided it was like hey we need to probably get off the water get in the shade for a little bit and so we did that well. We got back on the water, and of course, down south, when you have a really hot day, it creates thunderstorms. Right. And so we had a big old thunderstorm, lightning storm come up on us, and uh, we paddled, and then uh, decided it's like time to get off the water. Let's find a little low spot. And um, so we kind of rode it out, and the lightning's really close to us. Cause oh, that, okay. And he didn't realize it at the time. It's like, because it was like, you know, it, we'd see the flash and then boom, you know, right. it was, it was real close to us. <laughs> so once the storm had passed us, um, and that's what I explained to him also, when you get out in the coastal plain, you can see a lot further and the storm front had passed as we were behind the storm. So we we're coming up where we were losing light and I can paddle at night, but it's, it's better to have a little bit of daylight. So we're trailing the storm and, um, the lightning was a little bit unnerving, but I told him it's like, we're fine. And, um, there was this one that was going cloud to cloud and there was, I counted seven bolts cloud oh, to wow. cloud and he kind of shut down and had to uh, talk to him for a little bit. And 
So we started going back down river and my plan was, was to go to a boat ramp because I knew that we'd find, you know, imagine we're in this, the river was at flood stage and we're, a lot of the land is flooded. And so we're looking for a campsite and I don't know how he spotted it, but he found a good spot up in the woods and we wound up uh, staying there for the night and we pushed on to the Atlantic ocean and it was a, it was a pretty good learning experience. We had, uh, we got interviewed by the, uh, newspaper down in Darien. And, uh, I talked about that. We were interviewed separately. And <laughs> so it was like, one of the questions was, what was the hardest part of the trip? And it's like, oh, we came up, had a lightning storm, wasn't too bad, you know, found some camping, but he told the full story. <laughs> 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 and, um, so it, um, it was pretty interesting because I wound up realizing it's like a lot of these young adults haven't really spent that much time outside. And so, um, I wound up taking, um, two young ladies out for a day trip and, uh, they mentioned it because one of the reasons I asked them to go is because one of them mentioned about, you know, how she wanted to learn about the outdoors. Right. And so as we're out there, uh, they talk about some of the, um, issues they've had a lot of times when they get outside, you know, like for me, it's like when I'm first traveling outdoors, you know, I'm worried about weather. I'm worried about wildlife, et cetera. And what I realized, it's like their concerns were totally different. You know, on top of the concerns I had, they had issues of basically people, you know, hitting on them. <laughs> right. Wow. And yeah. it's like, wow. And, you know, I thought to myself, that's ridiculous, you know. Yeah. And so I wound up the side. It's like. Uh, one of them after that day trip, we, it was a beautiful day. Uh, she was like, Hey, I want to go on a longer trip with you. So we sat down and, and, um, uh, decided that what I wanted to do was teach her basic camping skills. So how to pick a campsite, how to tie knots, basic paddling, basic, uh, how to set up a tent, you know, how to cook, how to plan a trip. So she could take other uh, women out so she could lead and take other women out. Right. Because other women are going to relate better, right? If it's oh, led by a yeah. woman, right? Yes. Right. Yeah. Now we, a friend of ours, is camper Christina, and she goes out solo right. a lot, and she's she's taught herself to do all that, but she does also have other women that'll come out with her, right? And and I think there there is a lot of them like that. She that pr- has prefer it. she has inspired a lot of people, yep. to do what she's doing. A lot of women thought, well, I can't do that. Yeah. Whatever, and and now that they've seen Christina do it, so a lot of people, more a lot more women are being inspired to go out and and do these trips, solo trips or group trips or whatever, yeah. and, and you know push their limits and realize that they can do they these can do. things too. We we do the winter camping. I mean, we got the 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 canvas tents with the little wood stoves in them and stuff like that. Yeah. And you you can throw them on your um your uh, your sled and haul them in into the woods and and camp and that. And she started doing that. And there's this thing called uh, Winter in the Wild. It's it's at uh, Mule Lake Campground in Algonquin. And it's like one of the biggest, I think it is the biggest in Ontario now. And there's all these different types of, uh, of winter camping setups. And from cold tenting to hot tenting and the different types of hot tents and all that. And... Usually if someone, if someone comes up and says, Hey, this is a pretty cool tent you got, you know, come on in, I'll show you what it's like. Right. It, it's really, cause that's, you, they want to learn. And, uh, I've had people say, yeah, there's this girl camper, Christina, 
that does this and I really want to meet her. And it's like, oh, well, yeah, go down to site, whatever. That's where she is. You'll see her teepees. She's handmade her, her winter tents and everything. Yeah. Right. And, and really inspiring other women to get out. So anytime you can do that. Oh yeah. You know, yeah. uh, as we've said, it, it's, there's the big perception that getting into the outdoors is the white man, you know, white males. Right. That's mm-hmm. their, their domain. Right. And it really shouldn't be. Right. No. You know, yeah, we're getting the women out there. We're getting young kids out there. Every race, creed, color, sexuality, whatever you want to call it. Everybody's getting out there now. And that's the way it should be. And it's nice to see people actually exploring these opportunities to go out and camping on their own. Because uh, one thing that kind of irks me is you get uh, camping snobs. It's like, well, unless you're in the back country, you're not really camping. And it's like, well, you know, you got to start somewhere. But yeah. so you really shouldn't be camping snobs and, and poo-pooing the fact that somebody is starting out. Somebody's taking, some of these people are taking big uh, leaps for yeah. themselves and, and starting, even if they're in the front country camping, that's, this is something big for them. And, and, uh, I find it's quite negative to have people being snobbish about it saying, oh, you're not really camping or this is not camping or whatever. Camping. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think every, you, people have to do it at their own level, at their own comfort level. And it's nice to see that we have groups out there introducing people into camping on or canoeing on the Mississippi and stuff like that where people like for me I would never have thought about it but I thought the Mississippi was basically a, a commerce river mm-hmm. I didn't think you could actually canoe it right mm-hmm. so it, it's a it's it kind of opens my eyes a bit and and that's one of the reasons why we do what we do is we're we're trying to grow the knowledge within the the community to start taking chances and start doing these things more for yourself and and make people realize what's out there what's what is possible yeah and there's a lot of people when it comes to solo. i don't know if you do much solo paddling and camping yourself but there's a lot of people they can't do it hmm. you know the the big thing is okay well I've, I've paddled all day this is awesome i made my fire and i made my dinner okay now i've put my stuff away and the fire is going and the stars are coming out now what yeah and that's when I find the majority of solo campers, like the canoe trippers and that, that's where they fail. Mm. That's when they're just like, now what? Now what do I do? Mm-hmm. You know? That's but, my, one of my favorite times is yeah. just to sit back, sit look back, at the stars and Relax, and read empty a book or mind. something. Yeah. Just do nothing. Lay on a, lay on a rock, look Listen up at the stars. Listen to a loon off in the distance yeah. or, yeah. Now, do you do much solo paddling? A little bit. The, yeah. what I like about getting out, especially by myself, is getting in the rhythm of the day where you don't really worry about what time it is. Yeah. You rise with the sun and, you know, shortly after the sun goes down, depending on the time of year, you spend some time looking at the stars, looking at the moon, listening to the owls, you know, maybe yeah. talking to them. <laughs> and, um, yeah, you know, for me, it's more of just getting in a natural rhythm. Right. It, getting away from the hustle and bustle and the right, noise. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, and yeah, and that's exactly it. And, you know, like I say, if you can get more people out there doing that sort of thing. Now, when it comes to to camping on the Mississippi, is there designated spots or do you just, the end of the day, say... I suppose there's beaches and sandbars and stuff, depending on the time of year. Well, there's islands. It, it, It all depends on the level of the river. And there's some islands that are public. And it depends on what state you're in as far as the actual private land rules. Right. But the thing is, it's so isolated. And especially if you're, you know, practicing good leave no trace 
the yeah. principles, you can pretty much just camp anywhere. Okay. And um, say if it happens to be property, you know, you're camped out, you got your camp organized. I've had landowners come out in the past, and most of them are just, they're surprised to see a person. Okay, yeah. yeah. Right. And it, it's really no big deal that you're, you know, it, you, as long as you don't have beer cans and yeah. stuff. Yeah, they're all being respectable. Respect exactly. their property, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Have you ever had a bad experience? No. No way. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, of course, those are the ones you hear about in the news. Right. The bad you ones, know, yeah. The bad ones. Like there's a, that one, the guy was taking shots at the, the kayakers because they were They're on, his, on his, his water, which were going water. through his perceived well, yeah. property. That was, on, that was out in Colorado, right? Uh, was it Colorado? Something like think, that. Yeah. There was a, they were camping and they went down for the day. And It, it really depends on the state because, say, Georgia, uh, Georgia for instance, the the landowner actually owns to the middle of the river right if they if they don't own both sides of the river and so if you're on the water you're fine but the moment your foot hits sand yes your yes. own private property right. yeah. so they own the land but they don't actually own the water exactly yeah because we we had that discussion uh, on a show saying so basically if you were scuba diving mm. in the water as long as you didn't touch bottom right you were good they couldn't <laughs> say a thing yeah right so yeah so as long as you're on the water uh, but I, I think these people uh, had stopped. Well, there was the one that they had stopped on a sandbar. Right. So there was, you know, the there was the shore, there was water, there was a sandbar, and they just stopped there for a quick bite to eat. Right. And he came out guns blazing. Right. Well, even in Georgia, most of the places where I've seen the landowners um, have started taking issue with people uh, canoeing or kayaking, it's not right at the start. You know when. Uh, say an outfitter first starts putting people in the river it's after years and years of their property getting trashed with beer cans yeah, yeah. the yeah. outfitter not taking responsibility for the customer's behavior right you know and that 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 i could see right because i know i'd be ticked off with it as well yeah exactly yeah you know, people I, disrespecting and abusing your land yeah i mean right. if somebody wants to set up a tent overnight have a little fire in the in the same spot everybody else has had a fire or whatever yeah. that's cool but if I come out the next day, you guys are gone and there's beer cans and there's toilet paper and there's yeah. whatever else. Yeah, I'm going to have an issue with that, you know? So, uh, yeah, that's, that's a bit of a, of a different thing. Um, so yeah, it sounds like you have a, quite the playground for, for canoeing down yeah. there. Oh, that's beautiful. And one of the things kind of to go back to getting people out, uh, on the rivers. Um, if you think about a goose, a solitary goose and they're honking. Mm-hmm. Nobody really notices. But when you have a flock of geese honking, it gets a lot more attention. It does. One of the things, a lot of our rivers are actually kind of hidden. So the more people you get out there, and if there's somebody polluting the river or waterways, that's where a lot of the city's drinking waters come from. Oh, okay. Instead yeah. of having right. a solitary goose honking, it's like, hey, this water's being polluted or this water's nasty. You have a whole flock. And so I think that's why it's um, very important to get people out on our waterways to kind of uh, monitor it, you know, because there's nobody mm-hmm. really out there. Yeah. Right. That, uh, constant presence kind of checking and making sure that whatever's running off into the rivers, you know, is being checked, put in check. Right. Now, is is polluting and stuff into the rivers, like stuff being dumped illegally in that, is that a big issue? Well, there's a perception, and it's gotten a lot better in the south especially that the rivers were kind of 
uh, garbage disposals. Right. Because yes. when you threw something off a bridge. It went away. It went away. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but it's gone somewhere. It's gone to the ocean or it's getting hung up in trees. Yeah. And one of the, be- the best ways to change that kind of culture is to get people out and say, look, it doesn't go away. It's still here. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It may just get washed a little farther down. Exactly. Right. There's that uh, one video in uh, India. Uh, the garbage collects oh, all, that river all is year. Nasty. nasty. Yeah. And then the big monsoon comes and washes everything away, and they say, see, it's clean. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, it's gone farther down river. So it's the same sort of yeah. thing that's happening, right? right. So, um, yeah, you know what? It, it sounds awesome. I mean... I think one day, <laughs> maybe next, maybe this year. Yeah, I'll get out there for a day. That's what I was trying to say. You'll have to make a point of it. I'll, I'll send Tracy to the Elvis Museum. There you go, Graceland. <laughs> and then when when she turns right, I'll turn left right. and head to the river. <laughs> yeah, there's um, if you're in Memphis, there's the Wolf River and then also the Mississippi River. Right, and you could. While you're there, you can knock out a day trip if you want to, and it's it, it's going to be an eye-opening experience to get out on the big river, all that water flowing. Well, and that's that's what it is. I mean, like I say, we've got I mean, we've got some big rivers. I mean, you look at the Ottawa River and stuff like that. And, yes. And I mean, even the Moose River is a pretty decent sized one, um, but we don't have anything that big for that long. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, and that yeah, I mean that's that's the big thing. It's just. It's it's huge. It's the Mississippi. Out west, you'd find something like the 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 Porcupine or the Yukon River and stuff like mm-hmm. that. But so those are some pretty epic rivers. But this is a this is a giant river that, that flows right through very large cities and communities. And so it's yeah. it's something that's a, it's unique of its own, right? Just for the location and, and the headwaters and you know and the the delta when it drops into into what the Gulf of Mexico. The Gulf of Mexico. Gulf of Mexico. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, somewhere down there. That yeah, big, yeah, yeah, that big there. oceany yeah, yeah. thing. <laughs> that big oceany thing. Yeah. The blue spot on the map. <laughs> Whatever that <Yeah>. is. <laughs> That's awesome. So if you had to talk to somebody that was coming down to uh, do any part of that lower Mississippi. Yes, what would be a starting point? So somebody who's new to it, somebody who hasn't uh, experienced a river of that magnitude before, someplace that would be... Uh, I They're guess not going to die. Not as not as supremely challenging. So, where would you say they should start? And like a for a day trip, uh, putting in at the St. Francis River, you start out in Helena, Arkansas, and it, it, the drive itself is just beautiful. Once you cross the levee, you drop into the St. Francis uh, National Forest, which is I think the smallest national forest in the U.S. inventory, but the road. It straddles the upland uh, forest and the bottomland forest. So when you look to the left, you know, you see the upland trees, and the right you see the cypress and all the big knees. And you drive up, and um, you're driving along Crowley's Ridge, which comes out of the boot hill of uh, Missouri and ends in Helena. And so you're actually really driving through part of the floodplain of the Mississippi River, and you put in at the St. Francis River. And so you start out on this kind of smaller river and then bam, right out into the Mississippi. And at that point, it's over a mile wide. Wow. And just this massive flowing water coming down. And then um, very shortly, it's a nine mile trip total. Okay. And uh, it passes Buck Island, which is a beautiful island. At high water, you can 
uh, float through. There's channels through the island in the oh, okay. back channel. And high water, it's about 880 acres wooded. And low water, it can grow up to 1,500. And wow. most of that extra land is sandbars. And right. So you have this beautiful white sand, this big wide open space. And um, you really, there's nobody else out there. You might see the occasional barge. But that's hmm. about it. Yeah. So you could just, if you want to just sit in one of those uh, sandbars, have your lunch, mm-hmm. relax, have a little swim. Yep. And then um, you get back in the boat and float on down. And as long as you don't go past the bridge, you're fine. Uh, Helena Harbor is off to the right. So you just pull back into the harbor, unload your boat. And, right. Um, good day. It's a beautiful day trip. Now, what about if you're going on a, you want to do a bit longer trip, like a few days or more? A few days would be Quapaw Landing, which is just west of Clarksdale, Mississippi. Okay. And it's one of the kind of where you can get in the back channels. And it's right by Island 62, 63, which was um, talked about in Huckleberry Finn. Um, You're actually on the backside of that island when you launch. And um, you go down river to Rosedale, Mississippi. And Rosedale is one of the places where you ever heard that Eric Clapton song, The Crossroads? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what he's talking about, Rosedale. Oh, yeah. Uh, hmm. It's actually in the in the song itself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. And Mississippi, it's not just the river. When you think about Mississippi as the state, that's the birthplace of pretty much all American music. Right. So if you like rock and roll, if you like country, you know, you like jazz, it all originated all right in the fields, the fields yeah. of Mississippi. Why? Well, and you look at Memphis, right? You know, um, Elvis. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's it's all right there, right? So, quite. I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean, the Mississippi itself is a huge historic thing. Yeah. But when you start looking at what it passes, yeah, uh, yeah that's all American history, yeah. like huge. So you you could spend you could spend a lot of time going down there from place to place to place. That's awesome. You got a maid, man. <laughs> well, we're, up much, here, we're up here freezing our butts off, and you yeah. got a, you got a playground right Year there. Year-round playground. Well, pretty wow. much anybody the canoes has got it made. Yeah, well, that's true. That's true. Um, just quickly, you do some whitewater stuff. That's great. What whitewater stuff are you doing these days? One of my favorite, well, I've had some pretty good adventures. Um, I went out... Um, one of my uh, guys, like I, I met him one time paddling at one of the um, get-togethers, and he had posted on Facebook, and it lined up perfectly with my break last August. Um, he's like, "Hey, anybody want to go out and paddle the Arkansas River in Colorado?" I'm like, "Yeah, sure." <laughs> and my friends were like, "You just met this guy once. You're going to go halfway the across the country?" It's like, "Yeah, why not?" <laughs> <laughs> and um, so went up and paddled. One thing I was really interested because I had paddled the the Arkansas River, where it comes into the Mississippi River. And so this was at, um, up at the headwaters, and I'd been in the Arkansas River in Kansas, where they call it the Arkansas River, yeah. right around Garden City. And so I'd seen a, you know bits and pieces of this river, but I'd never seen the headwaters. Right. And so I had this opportunity to go up and paddle. And so we took a, was a Black Fire Option 92, that's a little you know, tandem boat. Yep. And I went up there and paddled, and that was... It was probably some of the biggest whitewater I've been in. And then oh, yeah? I've paddled the lower canes of the Rio Grande. Right. And one of my favorite sections, though, is the, the Chattahoochee Section 3, which is about an hour from the house. 
and oh. uh, just an easy day trip. Multiple levels. Sometimes it's you know at flood stage, and even at low water, uh, most of the guys that I paddle with are sixty and up that have oh. paddled their whole lives. Oh, okay, yeah. right. And yeah. um, it's it's you know they've primarily focused on white water, and it's always amazing to watch them how efficient they are with just single strokes. You know, I'm back there like paddling like a madman. It's like <laughs> you know they're making one stroke here one stroke there yeah, and it's just right. so f- controlled and relaxed exactly yeah, yeah. show-offs <laughs> oh no 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 they're just smooth i mean it's just uh, it's beautiful to watch them yeah and um just you know you kind of really just get in tune with what the water's doing and realize you don't have to work against it you have to work with it yeah yeah oh yeah you don't force it right, right just go with go with the flow as they say exactly so that's awesome that's awesome. All righty. Uh, anything else, there? No, I think we've covered yeah. quite a bit here. It's, anything uh, else you want to talk about? Go. You got to go. <laughs> no, no, I said good to yeah, go. Yeah. Good, good to go. go. Yeah. Got to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? It's, we, we, we're we always saying, hey, if you guys are in the, anybody's in the area or whatever, gonna, you know, drop us a line. Let us know what's happening. Yeah. And I mean, you're all the way up from, from Athens, Georgia. You know, and you're you're in the area, and we get you in here and chat. Because, like I say, you, you, we don't know what you're what it's actually like down there unless you go down. Yeah, there. we get to learn some local yeah. flavor when we get people in like this, so yeah. it's nice. Well, it's interesting. Um, we're talking. A couple of friends and I are talking about coming over to Al Al, Al-, Al-, Al- Gonquin. There we go. That's Thank the you. One. <laughs> and, um, and I was I was worried about uh, Atchafalaya. Right. <laughs> it's a. Uh, um, but watching like the videos from Canada, um, how I saw one thing where instead of the maple leaf, the canoe actually should be the symbol of Canada. That's Kevin yes, Callan. Kevin right? Callan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, no. It was an older guy. The before uh, he took on the flag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There was an older video. I'm sure there's a few. Co- people that was a couple of years ago. Yeah. I know that right, you right. said that one. Yeah, right. And um, what was it? Um, so anyway, um. But watching the videos of kind of the canoe, canoe culture in Canada, is, it's it's really interesting. Yeah. And then to see, um, you know, because there's a lot of lake paddling and see the more of the ballet of canoeing, you know. Yes. Well, and, yeah. And then uh, the minimalization of gear because you have to portage or portage. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, <laughs> you know, down south it's like, we don't have to worry about that. I mean, we yeah. might have a couple of coolers full of beer. You Load know? it up till it's free. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. We're not carrying it anywhere. Right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It, it really becomes an art form on how little you can carry. Right. But still do everything you want to do. Right. You know, and uh, it, it, yeah, it, the, the lighter it is, the more expensive it is. Right. You know, and you've really got to be... Um, creative mm. with certain items right. you know do you use an axe or a saw well i use both well not if you're portage and you don't <laughs> no. right. you know no. the axe the, the saw's lighter yeah so all of a sudden you're a saw the user the axe stays home right. yeah the lighter, axe stays home saws. Yeah. do you take a chair with you no <laughs> you know because you don't want to have to portage that chair across yeah. right all that sort of stuff right yeah uh, I know people, I, I always take a second paddle just in case, but I know people that are like, well, no, if something happens, I'll just make myself something. I'll carve one. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, there you really start to, you get rid of the luxuries mm-hmm. 
and you start to, to make lists. Well, this trip, I, I go, you go through your, sort of do a debrief after your, your trip. Right. Well, I didn't use this. I didn't use this. I didn't use this. I didn't use it. So next time, none of that stuff's coming. Right. Right. So all of a sudden your, your, your three bags is right. now two bags. Right. You know, so the, the, the wanted, well, when I take my Osprey, if I take my big, um, sea line bag, mm. I can hang it off my shoulders a bit. So it's back. Right. And then I can fit my, my canoe on my shoulders cause it's a bit narrower. And if I pull up the bag just a bit, the gunnels rest on the bag, mm. the yokes on my shoulder and I can walk the portage with, oh, touch my canoe. Right. It's just balanced perfectly. Right. In one solid go. So if you got a four kilometer portage, you're just one trip. You're not doing multiple. Cause if you, if you go to the end, then you've come back to get more gear and then you go back. That's three portages really. That's a lot of walking. That's, That's a, a lot, lot of extra walking. walking. So yeah, instead of doing four kilometers, you've done 12. <laughs> yeah. That's a lot, you know, especially, <laughs> yeah. And if you're, if you're racing daylight, right. you know, that, that, that's a big deal. So yeah, you, you really start to get into what don't I need, right. you know? So <laughs> you learn, you learn. And then, yeah, if you, if you're going somewhere, you know, it's just, you know, there's not going to be any portages whatsoever. Mm. Okay. There's the cooler and there's a barbecue and there's exactly, <laughs> right. it's a different you know, animal. There, there's, there's a, a lawn chair and <laughs> <laughs> there's grandma holding the kitchen sink, right. yeah, all that sort of stuff. Right. So yeah, it's totally, totally different. But yeah, I mean, even when you, when you're talking about the watching them, the, the more experienced people doing the canoeing and that it's, it looks like it's effortless. Right. And, uh, it's funny cause we do, uh, the big thing in Algonquin park is the colors in the fall, mm-hmm. right? Everybody, we, there, there's busloads of people coming up just to see the colors, uh, from all over the world. Like Algonquin park is world renowned for, for that. And they say, oh, well, we're here. We're going to do the Canadian thing. We're going to go out for a canoe paddle. And you get these people out from the docks paddling canoes for the first time. And we're coming in and we're going, oh, yeah, here we go. And you're dodging because they're playing they're all like bumper, bumper cars out in, the, out in the harbor sort of thing. And facing each other in their own canoe. And- yeah, yeah. <laughs> or both of them facing out. Right. Yeah. You know, so like, you, you guys know you where you're going. You, right? <laughs> you can't both be in the yeah. bow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There's that boat has two bows. <laughs> it's all good. But you know what? They're, they're getting out there. They're trying it and, yes. and whatnot. Yeah. So that, that's pretty cool. So, um, yeah. So Braxton, thank you very much for, for coming on this week. It's, it's been a real insight and, and whatnot and really cool to hear. Uh, from somebody that's not in our area, mm. you know, so, something totally different. So that just gives us another thing to go, oh man, I'd love to go there. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, just let, let me add it to the list. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, hopefully uh, you get up here again. We'll do a couple more beers. All right. Well, Perfect. thanks for having me. Hopefully, you guys can come down and paddle in the south. Yeah, you know, we're going to try. Take a little sunshine break. I'm, I'm hoping. Well, that'll be me this fall, at least. Yeah. I know I'm getting out at least one day. Yes. Out there in Nashville. Well, I'll just have to say, well, the Mississippi's right there. We're going to be right yeah, there. Yeah, got to do it. So maybe maybe I'll call you up. Mm-hmm. And if you're free, I'll say, hey. And that'll give me an excuse. There you go. You're my excuse, Perfect. buddy. You right. are my excuse. My <laughs> alibi. <laughs> it happens a lot. <laughs> <laughs> There's worse things. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so if you want to find out more about us, you can check us out at paddlingadventuresradio.com. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. 
If you want to listen to this show and 162 others, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Player FM, and any number of <laughs> uh, I, uh, podcast platforms. Yes. Yeah, all those good things. So I want to thank everybody for listening this week. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time. <laughs>